Good morning, River Life Church. I am Bung Four Rhodes. It's good to be with you again. Uh, I'm the spiritual growth director here at River Life, and we are actually in the fourth week of our 40 days of prayer with the Alliance. We're joining our Alliance family all around the country and even around the globe uh, to focus on reawakening to Christ. Now, the aim of these 40 days of prayer is that we, all of us, would fix our gaze on Jesus, remember who he is, what he has done, what he has given to us, and what he will do in the future. So this week's theme is actually on the reawakening to the church of Christ. And the daily readings and the prayer that goes with them are meant to help you to rediscover the Church of Christ. And these seven coming days, you will be looking at the church with Christ as its head, the church as Christ's body, the church as God's family, the church as the dwelling of God's spirit, the church as the bride of Christ, the church as Christ's ambassadors of reconciliation, and the church as the pillar and foundation of the truth. But before we dive into the church, I want to pause and examine this word, reawakening. Why are we reawakening? What is it? Why this particular verb? To reawaken is simply to awaken again. It is to rediscover and to revive an interest in something. Now, the disturbing aspect of this verb is that it implies or suggests that we have fallen asleep or that we've lost interest in the church of Christ. And we now have a need to revive, to reignite interest in the church. And I think that this is a phenomenon that we are experiencing right now, this need for reawakening. While engagement with the local church has been slowly decreasing over the decades, the pandemic has accelerated this trend. Recent studies conducted by the Barna Group, which is the leading Christian polling firm, indicates the following things. First, in-person attendance is only 36 to 60% of what it was pre-pandemic. Secondly, nearly 30% of Christians who were actively engaged with their local church before the pandemic have disappeared from the scene and they no longer engage in any form with their church, whether in person or online. And finally, the majority of millennial, Gen Z, and even some Gen Xers who are practicing Christians say that they do not want to primarily gather in person once the pandemic is over. Now, these trends highlight uh, the need for us to reawaken to the Church of Christ, for us to re-examine what church is, how we be and do church, and even why we have churches. I can't cover all these topics in depth in this sermon, so I highly encourage you to access the 40 Days of Prayer document that are in the comments, and you can follow throughout the week as you read and pray over these issues. What I do want to focus on today is more personal to you and me. You see, 
During these last couple months and years of these new challenges uh, to us personally, but also to the church and how things have changed so greatly, I have found myself asking some hard questions. And maybe you've asked some of these uh, questions as well. For example, why should pastors and church leaders continue to work? Why should River Life continue to exist? In short, why do people need to go to church? Why do they need church? And very specifically and more relevant, why do you need the church? We're going to be looking at the Apostle Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. Uh, Ephesus was a city, a very uh, populous city on the western shores of what is now modern-day Turkey. And in this letter to the church in Ephesus, Paul talks and covers these central topics about what it means to be a Christian, a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ. And he talks about what we need to believe as well as how we need to live out those beliefs. Now, due to the diversity in Ephesus, where there, the believers were diverse in ethnicity, uh, religious upbringing and background, social status, gender, all of that, um, Paul takes time in the first three chapters to describe this beautiful thing that God has done by creating a holy community of these very diverse people. And Paul argues that not only does Jesus' death and resurrection bring people into a right relationship with God, but that it also brings them into relationship with each other. Now, the latter part of Ephesians, or the letter of Ephesians, focuses then on how believers in this community are to live with each other. So our passage for today is Ephesians 4, verse 1 through 6, and verse 11 through 16. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open those, and you can also read along on the screen. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and, and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ." Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, 
Speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. I just want to pause here and take a moment to pray. Pray over God's word and pray over us. Holy Spirit, we just invite you to open up the scriptures to us. We hear words, we see words, but for them to come alive and for our hearts to be open and convicted, you need to do that work, Lord. So we invite you to do that, Holy Spirit. Let the word of God not return empty, but let it have its effect in us. Thank you, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so what is church? I mean, we need to start there if I'm going to tell you the reasons why you need the church. So what is the church? And that video that we just saw explains a lot of it. But let's look more deeply at what the church was in the Bible. The word church is mentioned more than 100 times in the New Testament. Here in Ephesians, it's actually mentioned nine times. And it is translated from the Greek word ekklesia, which has the meaning of an assembly or one who has been called out. So if we we put those translations together, a literal translation of ekklesia would be a called out assembly. Now, when I hear the word assembly, I remember my elementary school days when the whole school would get together and we would have an assembly in the gym. Right? All of us kids would be called out from our classrooms, and we would gather or assemble in the gym, usually to listen to a speaker, to watch a show, or sometimes to watch a movie. So I have great memories of school assemblies. Um, kids and youth, do you still have assemblies in your schools? Um, but I digress. Okay, so getting back to ecclesia. Jesus is actually recorded as the first person to use the term church. Now, he talked about it referring to the people who would believe in him. So when we look in Matthew 16, 18, after the apostle Peter proclaimed Jesus' identity by saying, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God, Jesus then turned and said, on this rock... I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. So it's important for us to note that Jesus is the initiator of the church. He is the builder of the church. It's his church. And nothing or no one, including Hades, which is the place of death, can destroy his church. All right, so in 1 Peter 2, 9, Peter, the apostle, succinctly tells us what the assembly has been called from and to. Peter says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness 
into his wonderful light. Did you see that? The church is an assembly of people who believe in Jesus as the Son of God and have been called from darkness into God's wonderful light. It is not, as we so often think of and use the term, a building which the assembly takes place. Church is not the building. Now, when we talk about church, we usually have two meanings. One is the universal church, which is the collection of all believers in Jesus from the time that Jesus went back to heaven until the time that he will return again for his church. Then there's also the local church, which is the community of believers who gather from a specific place or location in a specific time. So River Life Church would be an example of a local church, just like the Ephesus church was a local church. So getting back to our passage, the first thing you might notice is that nowhere in these 12 verses that I just read in Ephesians 4 does Paul use the word church. However, the word body is mentioned four times here. In fact, in his letter to the Ephesians, Paul uses the word body 11 times, either to refer to the group of believers who are joined together in their faith, or more directly to the church itself. In fact, the word church appears nine times in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Within the context of the whole letter, we understand that the body of Christ and the church of Christ are one in the same thing. As he does in the book of Romans, 1 Corinthians, and Colossians, here in Ephesians, Paul refers to the church as the body of Christ with Christ as the head. And Paul uses this familiar metaphor of the human body to help us understand what the assembly of believers, what the church are to be like and what they are to do. Okay, so now that we have an understanding of what the church is, let's address the question of why you need the church. From this passage, I see three main reasons. Reason number one, why you need the church? To keep the unity. In Ephesians 4, verse 3, this is how Paul commands the Ephesian believers. He says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Now, Paul's argument is that just as there is only one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, there is also only one body and one spirit that binds everybody together in that one body. The implication is that if you have come to faith in Jesus, then you have also joined the one body that belongs to him. You cannot have one without the other. In Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12, Paul illustrates the following facts about the various body parts of this body, the church. He says that a body part cannot stop being a part of the body 
each member or each body part belongs to all the other body parts, each member has a unique and necessary role in the body, and no one body part is better than any other body part. There is unity and interdependence in the diversity of the parts. Basically, the church needs you to do your part so that it can function effectively. And you need the church as much as your thumb needs it to be joined to your body in order to survive and to function. All right, so reason number one you need the church is to keep the unity. Reason number two why you need the church to be equipped for works of service. Verse uh, 11 here, Paul tells us that Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up and become an assembly that looks just like Jesus Christ himself. It's contrary to popular belief, it's not organized religion that thought up these roles and these leaders and let's make people be preachers and teachers. No. On the contrary, it's actually Jesus Christ himself, the head of the church, who lovingly provided for the care and raising up of his chosen people by giving these leaders to equip and train the believers. Indeed, many of you are part of River Life Church because you want to be taught, trained, and equipped to live out your faith in Jesus and to serve others in the church and in the community. All right, so some of you might be thinking, you know, I think I'm personally matured enough that I don't really need the preachers, teachers, evangelists. Their role in my life is pretty minimal right now. And you can probably say to Christ, I really no longer need these gifts that you've given to the church. Well, if that's you then my friend, it's time for you to become the one who is also training and equipping the saints. It's your turn to step up. All right, so reason number two why you need the church is to be equipped for works of service. And this brings us to reason number three why you need the church, to grow and mature spiritually. Charles Swindoll, one of my favorite theologians, author, and pastor for the last, he's been pastoring for the last 60 years, he explains this about Ephesians. The latter half of Ephesians makes clear that spiritual growth occurs primarily in community with others. Maturity yields benefits in believers' moral lives, but it extends far beyond that as well. Increased maturity benefits the community at large, leading us as Christians to present a more consistent witness to the working of God in our lives, as well as protecting us from the harmful divisions and quarrels that have plagued so many communities throughout history. 
Listen again to how Paul described growth and maturity in verse 15 and 16. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is, Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Notice that growth, building up, and maturity are all centered around attaining to love and being like Christ. To be like Christ is to love. To love is to be like Christ. And that is true for the body of Christ as well as for the individual members of that body. Jesus himself told his disciples in John 13, verse 34 through 35, about the importance and centrality of love. He said, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. God, through Jesus, has revealed himself to us and has clearly stated to us that God is love. Therefore, when we love, we reflect who God is. You need the church, the assembly of believers, because you can only love in community, not in isolation. Paul told the Ephesians here in verse 2, to be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. I like how John Tyson, pastor of Church of the City in New York, uh, explains this in an interview. He said, when you ask the question, who is Jesus? Into whose image are you being formed? Jesus' life was given for others. The Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for others. And a community of love requires others to be a part of it. By this will all men know that you are really my disciples by the quality of your love. Jesus' life was lived for others, and true spiritual formation will always drive us beyond the self into the heart of the church. You need the church, and the church needs you, because the whole body grows and builds itself up in love as each part, you, me, everybody, does its work. In summary, you need the church to keep the unity, to be equipped for works of service, and to grow and mature spiritually. Now we're going to take some time for you to reflect on this reawakening to the Church of Christ. And I have four questions for you to ponder. We're going to exercise our spiritual muscles of contemplation and confession. So I want you to honestly reflect on these questions. You can share your answers at home with those who are around you. Maybe you want to journal this 
or maybe you want to type it in the comments and share it with uh, the family online. Here are the questions for you to ponder. How much do you think you need the church, this assembly of believers? How much do you think you need the church? Secondly, what is your current role in the body of Christ? What is your current role? Close to that is number three. What role would you like to grow into as you are equipped and mature? What role would you like to grow into? And finally, what are you reawakening to about the Church of Christ? In other words, what is Christ showing you about his body? So take some time to reflect on those. I hope that many of you will join us for the 40 days of prayer as we continue um, reawakening to Christ. And part of that is I pray that you'll be able to think through your role in the church and why you need the church. So let us close in prayer. Jesus, thank you for loving us and leaving us your Holy Spirit and also giving us the church, the teachers, preachers, evangelists, prophets, and the other members of your body, that we together can grow in love, that we together can know you better, serve you better, and love this world, and be a witness to the world that we truly are your disciples. Lord, help each one of us to reawaken to your body, the church. Help us to know our role, to find our place, to rejoice in how we can participate in your body. And we pray for blessings upon the church, our local church here in St. Paul and Brooklyn Park, as well as in the universal church, your church, Jesus. We pray blessings in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.